Will you pray with me? Holy One, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. During my seminary training, speaking of not throwing out names, um, I'm going to share another one with you. Um, I read this very short book. It's like 60 pages. There's a second part um, that is a little bit, um, a couple more pages, but it's really just this very, very, very short book. Um, It's called The Practice of the Presence of God. And it's a collection of conversations and letters of Nicholas Herman, more widely known as Brother Lawrence. And the spirituality that bore this book has profoundly impacted the way that I understand my own spirituality. His story goes like this. Born into lowly circumstances to a peasant couple in 1611 in modern-day eastern France, Nicholas Herman grew up during the time of the Thirty Years' War. He didn't receive much schooling, As a child, and because of his impoverished circumstances, he was eventually forced to serve in the army. While at war, he had a spiritual experience in nature that revealed to him the extravagant love of God. And after leaving the army due to an injury and serving a very short stint as a footman to a high-ranking government official, he felt the call to enter into the religious life. Taking vows as a lay brother, in the order of Descalced, I think is how you pronounce it, um, Carmelites in Paris, taking the religious name Lawrence of the Resurrection, and was referred to then on, from then on as Brother Lawrence. He served and he lived in this monastic community for the rest of his life, spending the majority of his time working in the kitchen only being reassigned to an easier task as a sandal maker when his leg became ulcerated. This was a simple man with a simple devotion to God. Brother Lawrence came from from little means and devoted his life to doing menial work, cooking and cleaning for his community. He didn't have a seminary education, nor did he seek becoming a formal clergyman. Instead, he found deep satisfaction and fulfillment in a quiet life of service. His name is well known not because he was a great chef, though I imagine he probably was, or because of his in-depth theological treatises that are difficult to even comprehend, but because of his spirituality and the way with which he lived his life, devoting all his moments to remaining in the presence of God. Always, in all circumstances, the seemingly sacred and the seemingly ordinary. And it wasn't until after his death that this collection of writings and conversations were compiled into the book. In the preface to this book, the publishers wrote, No conceited scholar was Brother Lawrence. Theological and doctrinal debates bored him if he noticed them at all. His one desire was for communion with God. We find him worshiping more in his kitchen than in his cathedral. He could pray with another, Lord of all pots and pans and things, make me a saint by getting meals and washing up the plates. 
And he could say, the time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, possess God in in as great tranquility as if I were upon my knees at the blessed sacrament. A great teacher indeed. Now I'd like to share with you that I relate more to Brother Lawrence than to those leaders that Jesus was referring to in our gospel message. Humble and devoted to a simple life of service and prayer. Though I absolutely recognize that is an oversimplified view of his life because he was a human and much more complex than that as we all are. I certainly aspire to live uh, as congruently to my ideals as he seemed able to do. But honestly, today's gospel passage felt a little too close to home. Um, you know that feeling like, stop preaching at me, Jesus? But before we untangle these words of judgment from Jesus, it feels really important to recognize that Jesus wasn't speaking against Judaism or even the pharisaical tradition of Judaism. Uh, Jesus was a devout Jew. That is who we worship, someone who uh, was, was very devout, who, who practiced the, the feast days, who, who was um, deeply steeped in this tradition. And in this passage, he reminded his audience to stay true to that tradition, and to the teaching. So if, if these teachers were teaching about the law, you can believe that. You can believe in God, in the God that this person is preaching about. The teachings weren't the problem. Jesus' issue was with the hypocrisy and pride of the leaders who were doing one of two things, maybe even both, I think, A lot of clergy could probably say guilty to both of these. One, they were teaching one thing and doing another. Placing heavy burdens and expectations on others and exempting themselves from those very expectations. And the second, uh, which Zach referred to with the pretty dresses and the stoles and the collars and all of these fancy accoutrements that we uh, like to wear, especially when we're together, they were operating out of this self-serving motive, using their authority and their leadership position to receive validation and praise from others rather than to honor God and care for God's people. Jesus argued that the office of the spiritual leader was meant to be one of service, to equip, empower, and care for the people in their service, not to be especially revered or perceived um, with special honor or prestige. The spiritual leader was to lead from within, as one of the group, not above or outside of those they were leading, and it certainly didn't exempt them from obeying God's commandments just because they were the mouthpiece. They were responsible for keeping the law just as everyone else. If they preached one thing and did another, how could what they teach be trusted? 
How could the God they represented be trusted? So my first reaction to reading that was, oh, I know folks who do those things. You know, those other pastors, those, those other clergy people, um, so judgy and so um, concerned with how they are received in the community. Maybe that was yours, too. It's a lot easier to look out and see folks who are guilty of Jesus's criticism, isn't it? Looking outward is a lot easier than looking inward. But as I look closer at myself, I recognize that Jesus' finger was pointing back at me, not elsewhere. I began asking myself questions like, do I practice what I preach? Or does what I preach have little effect, little to no effect on how I actually live? Do I preach about love and forgiveness while holding on to bitterness, judgment, and grudges? Do I preach about gentleness and then go home and yell at my children? Or do I do that here (laughs) before the service when they're at me screaming? Might be accurate today. Are there times when my motives are a bit more mixed than I'd like to admit? Do I want to be liked, admired even? Does it feel good to be recognized for the good that I do? I wish my answers to these questions were a resounding no, but I know that they're not. I, like everyone else, am a person comprised of mixed motives, and my personhood is complex. I have a little bit of baggage. Um, Yeah. Pride mixed with power and authority has a way of, of obstructing our view of Jesus. And I'm not free from those trappings either. So I want to say, cool, cool, Jesus. If I can't quite seem to get my insides to match my outsides or keep my pride and tendency for self-aggrandizement in check, why even try? And if the ways that I mess up are responsible for leading others astray, why say yes to leading? That seems too costly. What I've come to believe is that faith is a lifelong journey. The only reason that we ever stop growing is because we close ourselves off from growth and from learning. We tell ourselves that this is the way it's always going to be, or I've done all my growing and I'm the best version of myself and have nothing left to learn. But we might notice that these options are all dependent on our own capacity. What if instead we believe that God isn't done with us yet? What if we believe that we are always in process? That we can receive rebuke or correction so that we can see ourselves more clearly and change and do differently? What if it's possible that we actually do mature? (laughs) That we grow and get better 
that our motives can become more and more pure, and we keep on trying, even when it feels impossible. Because God is leading us, and that God that we trust and we believe in makes all things possible. I love our psalm from today, particularly verses 33 through 36, which didn't show up on our slideshow. I'm so sorry, but good thing I'm going to read it to you again. God turns rivers into desert, watery springs into thirsty ground, fruitful land into unproductive dirt when its inhabitants are wicked. But God can also turn the desert into watery pools. Thirsty ground into watery springs where he settles the hungry. It's like God can also raise us up if we allow ourselves to see ourselves honestly. If we can receive the rebuke, the correction, the discipline, and follow Jesus. The ways of Jesus lead to life for all of us. And these words of judgment are a call back to life. It was a call specifically to leaders who had gone astray, so I certainly take that very seriously. But the temptations of pride and ego come at all of us. And all of us know what it's like to live inconsistently with our, with our convictions. The good news is that God is not done with us yet. As long as we have breath in our lungs, change is possible. That is what discipleship is. Following Jesus in the specifics of our lives and allowing God to transform our hearts and minds day by day. And that is a process that doesn't end. Though an imperfect human, like the rest of us, I think Brother Lawrence was on to something. If we engage in the practice of being in the presence of God always, our focus sharpens. And things like ego and pride get a little more fuzzy and their power over us weakens. May that be our aim. And as we do the hard work of examining our hearts, may we know that God is for us and doesn't leave us to do this work alone. We are all a work in progress. God hasn't given up on us yet.